0: Well, friends it's great to be here this morning my name's pete stacy i'm the evening pastor and uh, that first song was a bit of a taste of the evening style of things really uh, come along if you want more drums like that it was fantastic wasn't it i mentioned in the very first week of our current series uh, that one and two thessalonians are very early letters possibly the first letters written in the entire new testament And the Thessalonian believers rightly understood that Jesus could return at any time. But it had now been about 20 years since he ascended into heaven, and some believers had died. And those still alive were in anguish. Would their departed loved ones miss out on Jesus' return? Would they ever see each other again? Were they lost forever? These are really important questions. These are emotionally loaded questions. What happens to believers who die before Jesus returns? Paul gives us the answer in this passage. As we look at it together, I want to acknowledge that among us here today, there will be some, perhaps many, who are grieving the loss of a loved one. Or, like me deeply concerned for a loved one with serious health issues. Do you pick up did you pick up why Paul wrote this passage? Hope. Hope. See verse thirteen. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul wrote this to comfort and encourage them and us as we face the death of a fellow believer. So let's pray that God will help us understand his word, that we might be filled with the confident hope and comfort of his truth. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for the hope that you give us in your word. Hope for this life and hope for the life to come. Help us grasp it with our heads and our hearts here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please do keep your Bibles open. That's where you'll find the hope. Uh, Paul begins by highlighting two dangers to avoid. And the first is ignorance. Verse 13 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed About those who sleep in death. Someone once said that ignorance is bliss. That couldn't be further from the truth when you're in the grip of grief. One reason I like Google Maps is because it takes care of my ignorance about Sydney streets. It gives me clear direction and confidence as I move forward. How much more wonderful the help that God provides us in His Word to help us navigate life. And eternity, The Thessalonians didn't know what would happen. Paul gives them clarity. The second danger is despair. Again in verse 13, we don't want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Of course, the two are connected. Without knowledge, they had no reason for hope. Paul is not saying that it's wrong for a Christian to grieve. He's saying it's wrong for a Christian to grieve without hope. When Stephen died, we looked at it back in Acts. It says, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. When Jesus arrived at the tomb of Lazarus, even knowing what he was about to do, he was deeply moved and wept. Grief is normal and right. In fact, not grieving the loss of a loved one, you know, being stoic or strong for the sake of others, that's really unhealthy and causes all kinds of problems and slows down the healing process of bereavement. What Paul is against here is grieving like those who have no hope. Of course, in the prevailing Greek culture of the time, death meant utter despair and darkness such despair is wrong for the christian because god gives us hope in the truth of his word if you've been to the funeral service of a person who loved and trusted jesus the whole tone of it is radically different the sense of loss is always great but the golden threads of hope and joy shine brightly in the ragged tapestry of our grief. What about when a loved one dies who does not appear to have faith in Jesus? The, the, this passage doesn't deal with this issue, but I felt it was important to include here. Is despair appropriate then? When I take funerals of people in this situation, I affirm the promises of God in the gospel but don't directly apply it to the person who has died because I don't have God's perspective about that person. Did they turn to him like the thief on the cross in the final moments of life and by doing so receive God's forgiveness and the gift of eternal life? I don't know. Were they hard hearted right to the end? I simply don't know. Only God knows. So the best I can do is affirm the truth of the gospel and let God be God. The Bible is clear about the fate of the unbeliever and that there is no second chance after death, no waiting room, no purgatory. But the Bible is also clear that all who trust in Christ are saved for eternal life. At a funeral, any speculation about the person who has died is simply unhelpful. We remember them. We thank God for them. But in that moment, I share the promises of God for the benefit of the living, that they may hear the gospel and turn to Christ while they have time. The loss of a loved one is often a time of deep uh, personal self-reflection. And funerals are a stark reminder of how fragile life is and how certain death is. And doubts often rise in our hearts about what happens when we die. And can I say, if you aren't certain about God, what God will say to you or where you'll spend eternity... Please talk to someone before you leave because we can know for sure. I've actually left a pile of bright yellow uh, leaflets up the back, simply titled Hope in the Face of Death. Um, Just grab one of those and have a read of it and let's talk because no one, no one has to face death without hope. And that's what Paul says here. And in the next little bit, as we read on, he gives us two solid reasons For confident hope. Verse 14 says, We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The gospel itself is the source of all Christian hope. Jesus paid the penalty for sin and broke the power of sin by his death on the cross. And he destroyed the power of death itself by rising to new life. And he has the power to give that life to all who trust in him. Sadly, the best you hear at the funeral of an unbeliever is a a wishful hope like, I think they're in a better place, or she's my guardian angel now, or perhaps a star in the sky or something like that. That's a million miles from the certain rock-solid hope For the Christian, the peaceful confidence of our future based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. But there's more. Our hope is based on, see how verse 15 begins? According to the Lord's word, it's not based on mere human speculation or wishful sentiments from a Google search or popular uh, philosophy or psychology. From the opening verses of the Bible, one thing is clear. Nothing stands against the word of the Lord. God said, let there be light and boom, there was light. And all the way through the pages of the scriptures, we see what God declares is what happens. God says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The moment you put your trust in Christ, your sin is paid for, your eternal address changes, and you're adopted in God's family forever. That is the Christian hope. Dear friends, we have two solid reasons for hope. Jesus died and rose again, and God's word is true. He has promised eternal life to all who trust in Jesus. So that is a sure and solid foundation, isn't it? What are the actual facts then? What are the actual facts of our hope? What's actually going to happen When Jesus returns, let's just follow it through. Verse 14, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. In other words, they're with him now. The soul of every believer who has already died is with Jesus now. The Bible doesn't support the, uh, the idea of soul sleep. You know, like when you die, it's like a really deep sleep. And when Jesus returns, you'll wake up like no time has passed. It's, it's not what's pictured here. God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. Verse 15 clarifies the sequence of events. You see, we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. We've got to wait our turn if we're still alive when he comes back. We've got no advantage over them because, verse 16, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel. And with a trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Hang on. Aren't they already with Jesus coming back? And now they're rising. How can they they do both at the same time? Uh, Well, the Bible makes it clear that we are physical and spiritual. What we see is, is not all there is. We have a body and a soul. When our body dies... Our soul departs. Believers are with the Lord. Unbelievers are separated from him. Our body remains. Take, for example, the thief on the cross. He looked at Jesus and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus comforted him but also corrected him. Today you will be with me in paradise. Along with all believers who have died, his body will rise to new life and his soul, uh, to be with his soul. That It's currently with the, in the presence of Jesus. Another time, Jesus told a parable about a rich man who ignored a poor beggar named Lazarus. They both died and Lazarus was carried to heaven and the rich man to hell. The rich man asked Lazarus to go back and warn his brothers. Now, you can... Read the parable later. But the point is this, uh, for what I'm saying today, his brothers are still alive on earth, while the rich man Lazarus are fully conscious on the other side of death. There's no kind of time gap. Those who've died in Christ, bodies will rise, souls rejoin together, the new heavenly body. Wonderful, wonderful. Here's the good news. If you're a believer, the moment you die, Whenever and however that is, you will be personally with Jesus. If you've lost loved ones who trusted in Jesus, they are with him now. What a wonderful comfort. What a wonderful hope. Before we move on, did you notice all that commotion in verse 16? Let me read it to you again. The Lord himself will come down from heaven... With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. There's a lot of noise. No one on earth is going to miss it. I can still remember from when I was a teenager, a preacher said, It'll be like God kind of like just unzips the whole sky. The Lord Himself will come down from heaven. He's not sending an apostle or a delegation of angels. He's coming himself. Then there's a loud command like the voice of a military commander. He shouts something and the entire battalion instantly moves in obedience. In John 5, 28, Jesus said, A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. What an extraordinary moment that will be. Remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Jesus often used the term sleep about a dead body, as Paul does three times in this passage. It's not referring to soul sleep, and it's not because they're asleep and not really dead. It's a compassionate way of talking to grieving relatives. When Lazarus died, Jesus spoke gently to Martha in in this kind of way. He's asleep and I'm going to wake him up. And she's like, oh, he's only asleep. And so then Jesus kind of had to put it bluntly. Oh, Lazarus is dead, <laughs> but I'm going to wake him up. Oh, it's a beautiful little moment. So there'll be a loud command. The voice of the archangel, don't ask me about it. There's only two verses in the whole Bible about archangels. I just think they're like the, the, the really big, powerful ones. And then there'll be the trumpet call of God. There's another military image for us signifying the call to gather. 1 Corinthians 15.52 says, The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Now, 40 years ago, 40 years ago, I began trumpet lessons. Thirty-eight years ago, I stopped trumpet lessons. (laughs) Don't know what it's not gonna sound like? It'd be a lot better than that, right? Be a lot better than that. Oh, it's years. If you didn't like that, John Cornford put me up to that. (laughs) So believers who have already died will see Jesus first. Then look at verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Friends, see those words, with them. Let it sink in. If you're a believer and you know the pain of losing a loved one who was a believer, know too the comfort that the separation is only temporary. It's a comma, not a full stop. One day we will be with them again. What beautiful words of comfort and hope and reassurance. And we'll be reunited with them for a purpose. There's lots of things on God's last day program, but the next one is the main event. Like a good movie or a good piece of music that carries you along and provides more and more of the picture and builds our anticipation until the climax. And what is it? Verse 17, we will meet the Lord. And so we will be with the Lord Forever, to be reunited with loved ones is a wonderful hope. But to meet the Lord is more wonderful by far. Just like those early disciples, we'll see and recognise Jesus and be filled with inexpressible joy, which means that we'll also recognise each other because Jesus is our example of the resurrected body. We'll still know each other, but in a new and better and perfect way. Jesus' body was new and and kind of changed, but his disciples still recognized him. They touched him, they talked with him, they ate broiled fish together. Again, fried might have been nicer, but, you know, each their own. So will we, along with all believers. Paul often describes the Christian life as being. In Christ, But the day will come, brothers and sisters, when all who are in Christ will be with Christ forever. What a glorious hope we have. Dear friends, this leaves us with one thing to do. Verse 18. Encourage one another with these words. Paul explained these truths to the Thessalonians because they're in anguish because dear believers had died before Jesus returned. Explaining God's truth was the key to wiping away their despair, not wiping away their tears. We still grieve, but we grieve with hope when a believer has died. So how can we encourage one another with these words, these wonderful truths? Firstly, can I say, if someone is gripped by grief, don't barge in with pat answers and a barrage of Bible verses. People need time and love. They need compassion and comfort. Sit with them, pray for them, pray with them. But also gently and clearly Remind them of the wonderful truths of Scripture, the promises of God in his word, because it is his truth that is always with us to comfort us and give us hope. Secondly, and this is a really important key for remaining steadfast as a Christian through all the storms of life, let God prepare you for all the trials and temptations and tests of life before they happen by filling the warehouse of your heart with his truth, ready to draw out when you need it. When my dear Jude was in hospital several months ago and I was told she may not have much time, I was a blubbering mess, gripped by grief. I remember walking the beach for two hours one morning, just racked with grief. It's actually, it's a real ab workout. Like, it's seriously, it's physically painful, uh, let alone emotionally. I was just pouring out my heart to God and thinking, nothing can prepare you for something like this. And instantly, I felt God reminding me that actually, he's been preparing me all my life. The whole two hours was a rambling prayer filled with Bible verses and Bible stories that I've, I've just soaked in over the years in my own time with God through being at church, through SRE and, you know, through all the kinds of ways God's word has come into my life over the years. And he gave me great peace and confidence and hope through his word. Even in the darkest hours, So, dear friends, let us regularly and confidently encourage one another with the deep, comforting hope God gives us in Christ. Amen.